Welcome to Australian Hiker. We're your hosts, Tim and Jill Savage. This is episode 70 of the Australian Hiker podcast, and this is the second in our series of podcasts recorded at the recent Outdoor Retailer Association show held in Sydney earlier this month. In today's episode, we bring you six interviews with industry manufacturers and suppliers. And one of the things that surprised me, just like episode 69, was the amount of new gear coming onto the market. And in some instances, there is equipment that hasn't been released in the Northern Hemisphere yet and isn't being advertised on the company's websites. So there'll be just as much a surprise to Northern Hemisphere uh, hikers and bushwalkers as it is to the Australian ones as well. In addition, on our show notes, we'll be going through and bringing up or putting up pictures to show you what some of this equipment looks like. And we'll also be highlighting some of the equipment where we didn't actually interview the manufacturers or suppliers, but we thought that was of interest to show you. We will, in a number of these cases, be doing reviews in the coming month or two. uh, So we'll let you know how some of these products pan out. We hope you enjoy this episode. Okay, it's Sunday morning. I'm up here at the Sydney Outdoor Retailer Show and I'm talking to Phil from EDAS Foods who do a product called Primal Pod. Um, so I'll just get uh, Phil to say hello to introduce himself and tell us a bit about what Primal Pods are. Hi, Tim. Uh, thanks for having me, first of all. Uh, Primal Pods are a convenient meal in a box. They're um, highly nutritious, so we don't use a lot of um, pastas or rice or anything like that. It's just vegetables and meat. Um, it's 99% Australian produce. We don't. Uh, the only thing we can't get is uh, herbs and spices. Okay, and, and what's the concept behind them? So it's basically, is it a freeze-dried product or a dehydrated product? product what, what actually is it yep so we've um, used all Australian produce and we dehydrate them and we've designed them so that you just open the box and eat them so there's no need to rehydrate um, and no need to heat the product either so what and what sort of uh, what sort of range have you got at the moment how many how many uh, options have you got yeah we've got our first three on the market now um, so we've got a roast beef and vegetable we've got a Thai chicken and vegetable and a five spice pork and veg um, and the vegan versions of those meals are coming out within the next couple of weeks and then we'll start on our next one as well okay so you you've basically got a box which by the look of it I think was around about 80 grams uh, dried that's correct so it's starts off as 300 grams of vegetables and 160 grams of meat and uh, through the various uh, processes we end up with 80 grams. Okay and, and, and off the top of your head and this might be a difficult question here is uh, what's the rough calorie uh, calories for those meals or the range at least anyway? Yeah actually I don't know off the top of my head I should have been more prepared <laughs> but um, it definitely uh, differs a lot between the meals because uh, for example in the, um, in the Thai chicken we use pineapple which is uh, fantastic and delicious, but it uh, yeah, has a bit of sugar in it. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. that's right. Um, what I'll do with this is, as well as um, I'll actually go through and put a link to, link to, the, to EDAS Foods on the, uh, the show notes, and I'll uh, uh, go through and put a bit more information and, and some photos as well. It was, it was quite interesting looking at some of the images this morning at the stand where you've got a meal that is a typical Sunday roast, if you like, and it's just been dehydrated or, or dried down to um, uh, something it's fairly small and fairly lightweight. Uh, I must admit, I had a, a taste of some of the product this morning, uh, and I think I can see myself using that on my, on my upcoming Bibbleman track hike. Uh, I'm always looking for something for lunches uh, where I don't have to cook and I can just eat without having to do too much preparation. So I think they'll do well. Yeah, I think it's um, quite good in that scenario. Um, definitely my favourite meal, meal of the day for it is lunchtime, um, and just being able to open and eat no matter what you're doing at the time. 
without having to sit down and you know heat or do dishes or anything like that it's quite a dry product so you don't even really have to wash your hands at the end of it so <laughs> it's now quite you, convenient now you mentioned this morning that there's a, a range of spiciness with the three so what's uh, what's the difference but what what are the three products and 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 how do they relate to their spiciness yeah sure um the sunday roast is just as you would imagine your typical sunday roast so um, quite low in the spice area um, definitely got some flavor amongst it but um not so high on the chili uh, the next one up is the uh, thai chicken and that does have a little bit of chili in it um, but my favorite is the five spice pork and that has quite a bit of kick to it um, and it's so funny because people have a, a very different reaction to chili levels so some people tell me wow you know that's hot and other people go oh but couldn't you have made it hotter <laughs> it's hard to keep everyone happy but the, I, the I must, pork's my favorite <laughs> i must admit I'm, I'm i'm in the latter group there i tried some of the pork this morning and it was spicy but i could always always use more spice but yeah. i do love chili and i do love spice so i think for most people that's probably uh, that's probably about where the range needs to go <laughs> all right so where do you actually buy uh the primal pods at the moment so we're um, being sold in some retail stores in South Australia. Um, we've just had our first um, uh, online store pick them up. Uh, you can actually buy them off of us directly as well through our website. Is there any uh, any advantage in bulk buying at all, or is it a? Uh, um, it's more a matter of the, the cost is the same whether it's one or five, or it's it's more a saving on postage. Uh, yeah, yeah, there's the saving on postage, but if you are interested in bulk buying, I'm always happy to chat to you. We're a small South Australian business, yep. and uh, we welcome anyone contacting us with ideas. All right, so we've been talking with Phil from Primal Pod, and this this was a product that I had actually seen on some of the online forums over the last couple of months and and definitely was interested in trying because it looked like a really good concept and a good idea and I think uh uh, from my perspective, as I've mentioned in some of my posts, that I'm very time poor uh, and I'm quite happy to buy commercial food. And I think this is a, this is a product that will suit a lot of people. Um, I mean, you wouldn't want to eat it three three meals a day, seven days a week, but I think I can certainly see myself using this as part of my, part of my hiking rotation. So I think it's got a lot of future in it. Um, so if you go through and have a look at the show notes, the links to um, uh, the Primal Pods will, and where you can get them from will be up there. Okay, thanks very much for that, Phil. Much appreciated. Thanks for your time, Tim. So that was our interview with Phil from Primal Pod. Just following up on that interview, uh, I asked Phil about calories. The Sunday roast meal, which weighs 80 grams with a dry product, has 325 calories, which is a pretty good return uh, on the weight you're carrying. And forgive me for working in calories rather than kilojoules. It also has 50 grams of protein. So again, this is straight meat. It's not a soy-based protein. Um, and I must admit, I found that um, I, I did actually quite enjoy eating this. And uh, as I said, I wouldn't eat it three meals a day, seven days a week. But I do look forward on taking some of these meals with me on my Bibbulmun track hike. So have a look at the uh, the show notes and go to the link to Primal Pod for a bit more information. Good morning. We're here with Dom from Mako Eyewear, uh, and we're going to be talking about the, the Mako product, which most people would be very familiar with, uh, the sunglass range that they produce, uh, and the importance of keeping your eyes protected from a, a perspective of being outdoors in the bright, open environment. So thank, thanks very much for spending the time with us, Dom. Thank you. Okay, so tell us a bit about Mako Eyewear, what the philosophy is and what they actually do. Okay, Mako Eyewear have been around on the Australian market place for probably over 20 years now. Uh, they are a 100% range of polarised eyewear in both glass and polycarbonate lenses uh, and we're also Australian owned which is a very important point to make as well. Um, now I was going to say this from my perspective and probably from a lot of people's perspective there are so many brands of sunglasses ranging from the $5 glasses you can get in the $2 shop or the $2 sunglasses mm-hmm. you can get in the $2 shop to the, to the high end stuff why should people buy a good quality pair of sunglasses? Look a good quality pair of sunglasses A should last you close to a lifetime if you buy a good quality glass lens they're very scratch resistant they do 
you can break them obviously being glass but they are quite strong as well most of our range is about 1.6 to 1.8 millimeters thick and that's a nice balance between lightness and strength but also beyond that looking after your eyes when you're outdoors is really important you can reduce the occurrence of pterygium which is a growth across your pupil uh, and other eye issues that you can uh, get from being constantly exposed to high wind water as well as the sun obviously um, and uh, I was going to say the, you, were, you were talking about before saying that Mako is probably better known within the fishing and boating industry at the moment? Yes definitely uh, we started out originally in the fishing market um, in the late 90s Mako were probably one of the first fishing polarised eyewear companies and from there now we're starting to develop more lenses and frames that will give us a little bit more exposure outside of that market uh, we're, we've started pushing into things like hiking obviously kayaking uh, as well as general boating and general outdoor wear okay now if someone's looking for a pair of sunglasses um, what's the I suppose the, 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 the top things that people should look for? The most important thing without a doubt is actually the comfort of the glasses themselves. There's no point in buying a pair of glasses if they're going to give you a headache. Unfortunately, most people walk into a shop, they'll put them on, look in a mirror, go, I look great, go to the counter, buy them and walk out. The best thing they can do really is try them on for a number of minutes, not seconds. That way you can feel where there's pressure. Now most of the pressure you will feel will be behind the ear, on top of the ear or on the bridge of your nose. Um, and being aware of that pressure is important because over time that sort of thing can cause a headache. So the comfort is the most important thing. And then from there it's choosing a lens that is good for your eyes. Now everyone sees things differently and everyone uh, interprets colour differently. So a grey is generally the darkest tint that you can get. It's very comfortable to wear because it doesn't distort colour and it's close to what you would see with the normal human eye in terms of its colour representation but it does cut down a lot of detail because it's less light coming through to your eyes from there the other end of the spectrum are your coppers coppers are what we call a highlighting lens it will make everything look brighter when you put it on still reducing the glare to the same degree being polarised but it does seem brighter it's, it pulls colours out and creates a bigger difference between those colours and that gives you the detail as well you've obviously got more light coming through with the copper as so, well. So as an example then if you're into photography maybe the coppers might be a bit better just not so much for taking them through the lens of a camera but just seeing what's actually there. Absolutely look in terms of in terms of getting detail and seeing what's out there if you're in an environment where there's a bit of shade and obviously when you're hiking you're, you're going through a lot of tree bush you might have scattered sunlight coming through your lenses such as your copper and your rose and possibly a brown will probably give you the most detail and mean that you're not lifting them off your face all the time to actually see what's in the distance. All right. Um, so, okay, so comfort's the main priority. Uh, mm -hmm. What would be your next thing from there? What would you look for? Uh, lens comfort, I yep. guess, is the next important thing. So whether it's nice and comfortable for you to wear, as I said, the grey is going to be more comfortable than, than most of the other lens colours. Uh, but everyone's different. And what I can wear all day may not be the same lens colour as what you could wear all day. All right. So ideally, as, as you've said, try them on for a few minutes and if possible if it's if it is possible just go out in the sunlight yes uh, if, it, if the store has access to that to absolutely see what like. definitely all right um okay so we've been talking with dom from mako eyewear uh and again we uh, from my perspective i've worked outside most of my life and i if people see me up close it's very obvious from my face that i've got a, a weather beaten face uh, and it's really only been the last 10 or 15 years that i've been wearing sunglasses full time and i just notice how important they are uh, particularly when you're in the bright areas so I, I, we're hoping uh, in the next coming months to do some reviews of sunglasses and in november we're actually going to be doing a podcast on eyewear uh, or eye care and hiking so we'll look forward to that so thanks very much much for talking to us today Dom. Thank but you very much. Okay bye. So that was our interview with Dom from Mako Eyewear. As I said, I worked outside for most of my life. Uh, my, uh, I've got a lot of lines, particularly around my eyes, from a lot of squinting earlier in, in my uh, my adulthood. And it's only really been when I've gone through and, and started to worry about or care about my eyes that I've been wearing sunglasses. And I wish I had have done it earlier. So 
this is one of these sort of products that it's good, it's worthwhile getting a good quality pair that fits and is comfortable. It doesn't have to be expensive, but again, looking after your eyes to keep them uh, happy and healthy into old age is definitely worthwhile. All right, we're here with uh, Tim from Spelian. Spelian, as you're aware from last year, they stock a number of the major brands. Uh, they're distributors for MSR, Buff, Thermarest, uh, and a number of other products as well, like uh, Petzl. So um, we're going to talk to Tim about some of the key products that aren't quite yet on the market, but we were looking really forward to coming up in the next 12 months. So I'll uh, get Tim to introduce himself and talk about the first of our products. Yeah, hi, Tim from Spelian in Australia here. Um, first one we're looking at is our Thermarest Neo Air Uber Light Mat, which is our uh, due for 2019 release super lightweight 250 gram uh, sleep mat. It's got a loft of 6.4 centimetres or a thickness of 6.4 centimetres when inflated and has an R value of 2. So it's super uh, comfortable for the ultralight market and it rolls down to the size of a fuel bottle if you want to picture what it's like when it's packed and folded. If you picture MSR fuel bottle, that's the size of your mat packed ready to go and 250 grams. I must admit, I saw this uh, on the first day of the show the other day and I was really impressed. You know, for a, a uh, uh, an inflatable sleeping mat to only weigh 250 grams that pretty much blows away what's already on the market so currently both Jill and I are using the Thermarest X-Lights uh, and there I think uh, my X-Lights around about 378 grams so it's um, uh, looking forward to this one coming out um, and I'll have photos of this up on the, the show notes so it's well worth keeping an eye out for and so when we're saying 2019, we're looking around about... Uh, end of January, we're hoping. End of yeah. January. So we're really not that far away. So if you're looking in the, in the market for a new sleeping mat, this is a, a good option for those people that are into ultralight. Okay, so we're going to go move around through and have a look through, through some of the range. Now, I noticed that um, Thermarest's uh, sleeping bags seem to be a bit more prominent this year than they have been. They are indeed. Um, Thermarest is very big on a sleep system. So once you've got your good Thermarest mat, um, having a bag that's compatible with that is uh, makes a, a much better sleep system uh, gives you lets you rest better lets you play better the next day um, and so coming in 2019 we've got a range of uh, f- five sleeping bags coming through um, which are all compatible with our mats and um, have quite a lot of new features have been really popularly received here and uh, at OR in the US um, both down and synthetic bags for those depending on what you like and we do go down to a really ultralight bags um, we we're looking at uh, the high Hyperion bag just before, and that comes down to 450 grams, still 183 centi- uh, centimetre long bag, um, packs down quite small still, um, zero degrees rated, really, really popular at the show this year. That's quite a nice looking bag, it's a, it looks like about a half zipper, a, a three quarter zip on the side, uh, but again something as, as, uh, as light as that for a zero degree sleeping bag is pretty impressive, so uh, it's good to see another range of sleeping bags coming onto the Australian market. Well, these are... Apart from being responsible down, they're also um, hydrophobic down, which means if your bag gets wet, you will still stay warm, okay. which is, I think, really important now. Yeah, I, think that's the, I think that's the thing. I mean, I, I know, uh, yeah, if you're into really wet sort of camping, the, 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 uh, the, the, the synthetic bags tend to be the way to go, but they, I must admit I'm not a fan. I just like, I just like down wherever I can get away with it. Down, sometimes I think down feels better, doesn't it? And uh, being, yeah, being hydrophobic, yeah, if you get it wet, it's not going to, uh, you're not going to chill all night, which is, um, I think, quite a, quite a good uh, addition to the bags. Now, so the next thing we're going to go through and look at that uh, that uh, uh, a Spelian stock is Buffs. They're, they're the Buff distributor in Australia, and as you're probably aware, I'm a big fa- a big fan of Buff products. I uh, normally hike with two of them on every hike, um, and I've noticed one of the things I've noticed this year that Buff seems to be doing a lot more in hats. We are, yeah. Buff uh, got very big in uh, hats, but also very lightweight, ultra light running, uh, trekking, and just urban style caps. Um, fold right down. Um, to like about a quarter of the size of a brim of the hat uh, lightweight still all the buff fabric properties so they've still got some stretch still got UPF 50 um, yeah they're, they're, and they're all the same quite often matched to the buff colours so you, ha- you can get a hat and a neck warm 
all the same. Um, yeah, they're, they're, and they've become quite popular. And it's massive. The Buffs had a big year in Europe with them this year, so they really hats is something that seems to be taking off now. All right, and you were saying that they've changed the material for the standard buffs, the the, the things that people to stick on their necks and their heads and do everything else with. So what's what's happening with the the, the new standard buffs? Yeah, so it's, they're calling it the new original. <laughs> so it's the original buff, but it's the new original. And basically, buff have um, come up with their own fabrics. So rather than sourcing their fabrics from uh, different suppliers, depending on whether you wanted thermal or insect repellent, they've actually made their own fabric in house. Um, it's a bit stretchy, so it has four-way stretch, so you can stretch it up, down, sideways. It's not going to damage it. Um, it's made from two recycled uh, plastic bottles. So each buff takes two bottles, um, but it's a fully recycled, still seamless neck warmer, and it still has UPF 50. Okay. And one thing I did notice that you've now got an extra large buff available. We do, uh, yes. Uh, so for those people with slightly larger heads than the norm. Bigger heads uh, or bigger necks, yes. Uh, and I think, you know, while I'm, I'm sure the colour range won't be, you know, how, how many colours are there in buffs? Yeah, it's thousands, thousands of colours in buffs. But, so uh, I think, you know, while the colour range may not be as wide with the extra large, at least for those those of us that have larger heads, it's uh, it's good to see that we're now being catered for. Cool. And, and additionally, we always have done as well, there is a slimmer buff. So uh, quite a lot of the girls like the slimmer buff as well, but covering both ends of the market now, the slimmer for the girls and also the extra large for those with the slightly wider necks or uh, heads, yeah. All right, and now we'll move on to our last product. Okay, so we're here now looking at the Petzl lights, uh, and um, Petzl are one of the main brands of of headlights that are available in the market, Uh, and for a lot of people, they'd be familiar with a number of the brands or the, the number of the uh, models that are on the market, but there's a new one coming up through into early next year, or, or, or actually later this uh, later year. this year now, later yeah, we're, year, we're, so. we're hoping uh, August this year, early August, um, and it's more of an urban light, it's the Petzl Bindi, which is takes takes off the normal band that you have on a headlamp and goes to an elasticated cord, a bit heavier duty than the old Zipkas and those sorts of lights. Um, still has 200 lumens, uh, USB rechargeable, uh, super lightweight at um, 35 grams. Um, so just a, just a bit heavier than the uh, the E-Lite, which is around yes, about the 27, 27 gram mark. so a little bit over that, um, but a lot more lumens. Um, and it's got an IPX4 waterproofing, so you can get splash resistant, that sort of thing. Um, with it, can't submerge it in a bucket and go swimming, but uh, for, for just urban use around the home, house, um, car... Um, yeah, it's perfect. And, yeah, you could probably run with it, uh, train with it, those sort of things, yeah. And it would fit in a pocket quite easily. And so, yeah. All right. And along with that, so we've got our, our existing range of, uh, of Petzl lights as well. Uh, and, again, lots of different models, lots of different colours, uh, including up to the, the industrial duos, which have got, by the look of it, 1,100 lumens, lumens yeah, which so. is, uh, if you want to fry possums in the trees, right. I think that's probably the one to go for. Yeah, I think we, yeah, we start at 20 lumens now on a new kid's headlamp and then uh, head all the way up to 1,100 on the updated duos, yeah. So there's pretty much a range there for just about anybody. Uh, and I must admit, I'm in, I'm in the market for a new uh, headlight for my Bibbulmun track trip later on this year. So uh, the, the Petzels is certainly one of the ones I'm seriously looking at. Must so. have one in the range. It would suit that perfectly. Uh, <sighs> all right. So nice. thanks very much. We've been talking to Tim from... Uh, Spillian uh, about some of the new product that's um, not quite on the market yet for some of them, uh, but you know, not, far some, away. not far, not very far away. So there's a lot of new and exciting product that that's going to keep people very happy, particularly the ultra lighters in the coming months. Indeed. Okay, thanks very much for that. Cheers. So as I said, um, there's some very good product coming onto the market in the, in the next few months, and particularly for me, the Thermarest Uberlite uh, was something that's got me fairly excited. I wasn't aware it was coming out. Um, it's not being advertised, or at least it wasn't being advertised on the Thermarest website. Uh, so go through to the show notes, have a look at the um, the pictures. Um, it's a, uh, a good-looking, lightweight, in fact, very ultra-lightweight uh, sleeping mat. So there's no excuse now not to be carrying a decent-quality sleeping mat, particularly for those weight-conscious hikers. All right, so next we're going to go through and talk to the suppliers of Deuter and Leckie. Uh, Deuter is well-known for their pack range, and Leckie uh, is very well known for their uh, tracking poles and also their uh, outdoor furniture. Uh, but, but today we're going to concentrate mainly on the, the tracking poles themselves. So I'm just talking to someone here from the manufacturing slash importing company, uh, and I'll just get him to introduce himself and tell us a bit about what Deuter and Leckie are about. Hi there, my name is Matt, and um, 
I work for a company, Sydney-based company, which imports and distributes both the Deuter and Lecky brands, plus a bunch of other brands for the outdoor and the cycling market in Australia. And um, yeah, we'll probably talk a bit about um, both of the brands, where they're coming from, what the heritage is, plus some of the signature products. Okay. Now, so we'll start off with um, uh, Deuter to start with. Um, certainly from my perspective, the thing I know about Deuter is their packs. I do actually own a Deuter pack, which I've had for around about six years. Uh, still in good condition, still working on them really well. So tell us a bit about the Deuter packs, what the philosophy behind the packs are. Yeah, so Deuter is a company which was founded in the late 19th century, so it's called it 120 or so years of age. Uh, they've uh, initially started making industrial applications, but got into backpacks um, quite quickly. For, for example, for the German postal system, um, they also used to make beer tents and things like that. Um, but um, today, they're really one of the leading backpack manufacturers worldwide uh, with a couple of signature technologies for example mostly known for their air comfort uh, back systems which are the most ventilated back systems in the world reducing perspiration by over 25 percent and that that development came in 1984 was patented and have gone through many cycles of further development and as i said they're one of the leaders in that technology uh, globally today okay so i mean Looking at the range of packs that are surrounding me on the wall at the moment, there seems to be quite a range of sizes uh, of packs, ranging from fairly small day packs to to quite large packs. Um, what's, I suppose, this is a, a, a hard question, I suppose, but it, what's probably the best selling range in your in your hiking packs or best best selling sizes? Well. We should look at ranges because we've got um, technical packs for the day hiker. Size-wise, I would say that goes from mid-20 liters to high 30 liters, typically. Um, then we have um, rucksacks, um, and they're looking at from 50-plus liters going up to, um, up to 85 liters. We have travel packs, again, 60 to 80 liters of of uh, volume in the wheel luggage, and um, yeah, 60 to 80 liters as well in the in the travel packs which you wear on on your back. So it really depends on the category. Toyota also have have um, small te- um, technical day packs, running packs, which are of course smaller in the you know I'd say 12 to 25 liters. Um, we have um, book packs for laptops and iPads and documents um, they're around 20 to 30 liters um, and we have you know for example also a day travel um, pack which is 40 liters which is the maximum size you can take as a carry-on luggage on your plane okay that's a, that's probably not a bad thing I wish they'd enforce that in Australia sometimes sometimes you sort I of see do. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know I think some of, some of those, the things that I see people carry on the planes definitely can't be can't be 40 liters in size um, okay, so you were telling me before we started this interview about uh, Deuter's quality, um, the, the way they strive for quality. Can you give me a bit more of a, a, a feedback on, on on how they aim at quality and what their what their view on quality is? Yeah, look, I mean, a Deuter is their, their whole corporate philosophy these days is that a Deuter pack is a companion for the person who purchases it. So the idea is that you have this pack for many, many, many years. You know, like. Um, now, I've got some Deuter packs which I've retired because I didn't like the color anymore, but they were 8 or 10 years old, you know, and still functioning. Our return rate is well under 1% of sales, and that's in line with, with, with global uh, uh, global standards. Uh, it's a very um, uh, long-life product. We have um, worldwide global warranty, so if you happen to buy a Deuter pack in Australia and you have a problem in Europe or in North America, or in Asia, uh, there's typically um, a toilet distributor in that country, which can point you towards a retailer who can then help helps out with a warranty if that ever occurred. But really, I mean, the 
the philosophy is for quality, so they don't spare uh, money in terms of the, the materials used or the, the manufacturing quality. Deuter moved all of their manufacturing, I think, in the late 80s, early 90s into Vietnam, where they're working with a Korean company, which has a subsidiary there. It's a substantial factory with, I think, more than 3,000 staff. Um, it's a it's it's part of the Fairware Foundation group of uh, manufacturers. So there's air conditioning. They 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 they, they don't have child labor. They use environmental uh, manufacturing technologies. Um, they've got lunch for their staff. They've got a crash for mums who bring their kids and all this sort of thing, which is quite unusual for a country like Vietnam. And the manufacturing quality, the stitching, and all that is phenomenal. Like they tell me, for example, that they could not make these packs these days in Germany themselves itself um, to that to that standard um, it, they only use one factory for all of their packs so it's a very close cooperation and that ensures that um, you know quality issues are virtually non-existent as, as compared to for example manufacturers who um, hop from one manufacturer to the next in China or India or wherever to get the cheapest price that's not what Deuter is about I must admit those are sort of my, my Deuter packs 2012 and it's still in very good condition. It's um, it's there's nothing wrong with it, and it'll last a number of years. So I think certainly that the quality attitude tends to be you pay for what you get, uh, and certainly that's while you can get obviously get cheaper packs, you know, you're going to have to replace them more regularly, which is in the long term is going to end up costing you more. So I, I agree. I think paying for better quality up front uh, gives you a better product, and it's going to give you more enjoyment. So. Absolutely, it's more enjoyment. For example, a lot of pack manufacturers constantly. Um, talk about the weight of their pack but let's face it whether a rucksack weighs two or three hundred grams more by the end of the day doesn't matter because you're going to put 15 kilograms into it so then it's important how does it feel on your back does it feel light um, uh, even though it's a few hundred grams more more heavy than another pack or does it feel like um, I'm going to get my 15 kilos of what I'm carrying properly distributed do I have the correct load transfer into my hip belt do I have the right stabilizing um, frame on my backpack does it sit close to my body so it doesn't make me hunch forward um, all these sort of things and you know if you're walking for four, five, six hours a day with 15 kilograms it's about how it feels and how you shape up at the end of the day okay alright so that's Deuter Packs now let's go, go to, to Lecky and particularly we're going to be looking at the walking poles or tracking poles so tell us a bit about Lecky tracking poles so firstly Lecky is a company which started in the 40s or 50s in 1940s 50s in Germany um, the guy who started is a very was a he's passed away but he was very passionate about the outdoors and skiing and hiking in particular probably mostly now the lucky name from all the ski racing or cross country and biathlon racing we might watch in Eurosport um, or the Olympics for example but um, um, they were always a technology driven company which uh, wanted to make um, a hiking pole or a ski pole um, more user-friendly and safer for the consumer. So um, let's put it that way. Um, Lecky hiking poles, for example, exceed, exceed um, German or European uh, standards by a multiple in terms of um, the load they can stand for each pole. Like the locking mechanisms on Lecky poles are be holding between 80 to 150 kilos each, each um, pole side using two and that's important if you take a tumble and you want to catch yourself catch your fall um, by sticking a pole out so you don't fall to the ground it doesn't help if the pole only holds 30 or 40 kilos because that's okay while you're just walking along and, and putting it lightly on the ground but if you get into a situation where you need safety that's a lucky locking mechanism is a, is 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 you know the way to go I uh, was hiking on the overland track in February last year and it was uh, it had been raining it was fairly wet and slippery and a, uh, a female hiker in front of me did slip put the pole out to, to hold her hold herself and managed to stop herself uh, from falling but snapped pole in two and it was one of the cheaper cheaper um, poles that just obviously didn't have the quality to be able to hold up 
Yeah, so all the lackey manufacturing is happening in in Europe. Um, actually, the 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 company is situated in, in Stuttgart, not far of the Mercedes factory, but their factory is in the in in the Czech Republic, just on the border to Germany, Bavaria. And um, they have very strict quality control standards um, for their product. Okay, so I mean, they look like they produce quite a, a range of poles. Um, what are the what are probably the say the two best selling poles, and, and why would you say that's the case? Well, our poles, like the best selling poles, um, I think sort of our mid price poles for us. Um, and in the high end, we sell also a lot of folding poles, also carbon fiber folding poles. But typically, you'd buy a lecky pole um, because of um, the safety of the locking mechanisms, which have a higher standard, but also um, because of the, the grip. In particular, where we, I think we are very different than most manufacturers. Firstly, we've got um, soft materials in the grip, like soft rubber or cork. Um, and the grips are completely rounded, so there's nothing sticking out which may chafe your hand or give you a blister somewhere. And our straps are also very soft, the, rib, the wrist straps, and they have a safety mechanism. So if you happen to snag your pole in, in a crack and you walk forward, the, the, the strap itself has a quick release mechanism when you pull on it so it lets go and you're not going to um, you know, um, twist your wrist or something like that. And that's where we differentiate ourselves. So maybe price point-wise, um, we have poles sub $100, but $150 to $250 retail is mostly where we're sitting. Yeah. All right. So thank you very much for that. We've been talking to um, uh, Matt uh, uh, about Lecky and Deuter. Uh, and again, these are two well-known names within the hiking industry uh, and certainly products that are well worth looking at if you're looking for a new pack or looking for a new set of hiking poles. So thanks very much for that. And we look forward to, to seeing what new and upcoming products uh, are coming from both these com- companies as, as time goes by. Thank you. Thank you. One product we didn't talk about with Matt was the new range of uh, nut butter filled cliff bars uh, that they've imported into Australia. And these are a product that I've been waiting for for 12 months. I love my peanut butter uh, and I've been, been really looking forward to these com- becoming available and they will do over the next month. So we'll be reviewing those over the next few weeks uh, and I'm really looking forward to trying them out. So keep an eye out for that. Okay, so it's Sunday afternoon. I'm here talking to Paul from Injinji Performance Products. Uh, And probably most people tend to know uh, the name Injinji from the toe socks. But we're going to talk to Paul about the socks and uh, another product that he's also selling that's relevant to hikers. So good afternoon, Paul. Good afternoon, Tim. Thanks for coming. Okay, so what do what does Injinji Performance Products sell? What's their main products? Basically, uh, Injinji Performance Products, uh, we started out 10 years ago with uh, Injinji Performance Toe Socks, hence the name. Uh, since then, what we have done is... Uh, brought into Australia a range of uh, complementing products, uh, including uh, Ultimate Direction, backpacks, um, we do body glide anti-chafe products, uh, more so recently, which we're going to talk about a bit later, is the Topo footwear, um, and we also do uh, features, running socks, spy belts, uh, and a lot of other accessories which are handy for hikers. Okay, so I suppose the the main thing that, as I said, people tend to know you guys for is the the toe socks mm-hmm. themselves. Yep. How did they come about, and 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 why do they sell so well? Yeah. Okay. Well, in Gingy, um, yeah, is, is our main product. Uh, now, in Gingy. Uh, in its word in itself means peak performance. So a lot of people ask us what does Injinji mean? So uh, Injinji uh, is a product which basically allows the foot to perform naturally. Um, It's a healthier, more natural environment for the foot. Uh, We like to use, uh, I suppose, uh, 
between uh, differences between a mitten and a glove as, a, as the easiest way to explain it. A lot of people uh, obviously don't wear mittens on their hands. Mittens are hot and sweaty and you can't use your fingers. So the easiest thing for us to say, well, then why then we ask the question, do we put them on our feet? Uh, and a lot of people sort of, you know, it just makes sense and it does. So within Gingy, um, it, it moulds to every contour of the foot. Uh, so it allows your toes to splay naturally. Um, it allows the toes to work individually. Uh, but more importantly, there's no skin-on-skin friction. Uh, so that totally eliminates blisters, hot spots, etc. Um, because the socks are also uh, have a 5% lycra component in all the socks, it means it does, as I said, mould to the foot. So it doesn't hold any water either. So if you're hiking or you're trail running, you can do your creek crossings and not worry about your feet getting soaking wet and then uh, the socks you know, holding the water, getting all bunched up because the socks will actually drain uh, and you don't have your toes getting pulled apart by uh, uh, by the wet feet. So... I must admit, my wife Jill uh, uses in gingy socks, and she's got a couple of her toes that sort of almost one toe sits underneath the other, yes. and she just finds that wearing the toe socks keeps them separate and keeps them It does, them in place. and it's interesting you, you bring that up because all the in uh, gingy socks have actually been endorsed by the Australian and the uh, sorry the U.S. Podiatry Association, uh, and they do use them as a treatment tool for people with overlapping toes, corns, bunions, and things like that. Also, uh, so every toe is protected. And that's the whole idea: is to have that protected foot but also allow the foot to function biomechanically correctly um, it's the only sock that, on the market that allows that to happen I must admit I, um, from my perspective I, um, I haven't actually used them my wife Jill has um, I tend to like a, a fairly lightweight sock but I also like a sock with a bit of padding on the bottom as well yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah is, does that fit into the trail sock category or is it more into one of the other yeah. other types of socks no with our, with our socks we do have uh, three different thicknesses in the sock so we do have a lightweight sock uh, and a liner sock which uh, is a very thin um, interface between between your foot and the shoe so it does allow you to wear an additional tube sock over the top if you wish to um, our original weight socks are a little bit thicker um, can be worn uh, as a standalone product um, and then we also have a mid-weight sock which has padding on the heel and the forefoot uh, and we stop it just before the toe because you don't want bulkiness in through the toes so but it will allow for um, those people who do like it more of a padded sock um, all our trail socks are mid-weight padded socks um, and also the outdoor socks are, are, are padded also because we do find that the, the trail runners and the hikers because they're doing a bit longer distances do like that a little bit of extra extra padding there um, and then we also have our hiker liner sock which is a new product we've just brought out which combines an Njinji liner sock with an Njinji tube style sock uh, now whilst I've just mentioned why toe socks are better than tube socks uh, the difference there is a difference with our tube sock in that it is still foot shaped and it is a bit looser around the toe so we we stay true to our um, freedom of movement of the toes with our tube sock also um, and it's a good price point so uh, a lot of people are enjoying that product at the moment and what's the what's the main material with the socks are they, are they synthetic are they wool or yeah they... look we there's the, the two styles we have our, all our trail socks are a cool max blend um, so very cool very dry a lot of people are obviously aware of what the cool max fiber does with the wicking of the moisture um, and our outdoor and hiking socks are all merino wool so um, they are australian merino also so we are very happy to say that we have a u.s brand using our fibers which are great um, but uh, predominantly fiber is either cool max or wool um, and then we do have that component of lycra and nylon to give it some structure and um, strength um, but the lycra is probably the other most important other than the the cool max of the wall because it does as i say allow that form fitting feel now in the uh, in the, the hiking type socks is it, what's what's the best seller is there is there a best seller or is it down to color or yeah, length or uh, yeah it can be down to the type of footwear they're wearing obviously as the hiker is someone who wears uh, boots uh, they're more inclined to go the higher length with the crew length uh, sock so our crew trail or our uh, crew outdoor sock will, will go there um, but we do have seen a bit more of a trend of people wearing more of a trail shoe rather than a boot. 
Um, so our sails in our mini crew length, which is over the ankle uh, length sock, is actually starting to catch up to the crew. All right, now the second product we wanted to talk about from Njinji Performance Products is their range of footwear, footwear, and that's the Topo shoes. So what can you tell me about those? Yeah, so Topo is a great brand. Uh, We've had it in Australia for coming on two years now. Uh, Topo is one of the fastest-growing brands uh, in the U.S. at at the moment. So the three key principles about all Topo shoes, uh, one is the foot-shaped design. It's got a foot-shaped last with a wide toe box uh, so synergies to our Njinji product and that it does it is designed to allow the toes to display naturally with inside the shoe um, they are a very lightweight shoe um, and they're a very low heel to forefoot ratio um, which we call drop so um, the highest uh, heel to foot ratio in a topo shoe is five millimeters so um, three millimeters and then there's a zero drop shoe also with topo so we try and cater for a wider range of of, of people uh, with regards to the the drop in the shoe uh, but all of the shoes uh, are like I said very light um, and very comfortable to wear because it basically allows your toes to display naturally I must admit I've been wearing a zero drop drop shoe on and off for the last couple of years and and I I must admit I do really like them. Uh, I tend to, particularly when you've got a heavy pack, you tend to lean forward enough as it Mm. is. Uh, I find that wearing zero drop, I just tend to stand up a bit more upright and a bit straighter. Yeah, well, it's easy. When you get out of bed in the morning, you stand up, you're at zero drop. So it does make sense why do we then put ourselves in shoes which raise our heel and and change our biomechanics. So having a, a low uh, heel height does help with a more natural running uh, style or walking style. Uh, we like to um, think of ourselves as a natural running shoe brand. We're not a minimalist shoe brand um, by any stretch of the imagination. Um, we just like to ensure that the once again that the, the runner or the hiker uh, is in a more natural position so there's less injuries and a more comfortable time out there on the, on the trail. Now, I know some people tend to have problems with the zero drops, the people that have issues with plantar fasciitis. Yep. Um, so what's what's your uh, recommendation if people are just changing over to these sort of uh, low drop shoes for the first time? Yeah, the, 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 the key with any uh, change in, in any shoe is to sort of build it into the rotation of your shoes rather than just going from uh, one shoe to the other. And it's more particularly with a zero or low drop shoe, if you are someone who's in a, a high 12, or 13 mil shoe at the moment if you go straight to a zero drop shoe you will have sore calves or Achilles the next day simply because you are stretching that muscle um, back to its normal position so it's akin to we say if you someone was to go to the gym for the first time in three months they're going to feel it the next day because they've stretched muscles that they hadn't stretched for quite some time so the key is to basically go into them slowly um, and we're the first people to say you don't put the shoes on and then go and run a half marathon because you will be sore the next day so the, the key is to build it into the rotation of your shoes it only takes two to three weeks to actually convert um, the higher the shoe the less time it takes to convert so we would normally suggest people who haven't worn a zero drop shoe before to start in one of the the three or the five millimeter drop shoes um, and get used to that and use that as their first first shoe um, and then progressively work themselves down to a zero drop platform if they feel they need to others will just happily go along in, in the three mil and not have any issues um, it's not something not everyone can do zero drop and that's just a fact of life so the ability to have uh, multiple options with with topo has really opened us up to a larger customer base um, in, in different style of, of walker or hiker um, and uh, I must admit I'm having a look at the shoes I mean I obviously haven't worn them but having a look and they look like they're really well built uh, they're a good looking shoe uh, they, don't look, they don't look strange like a lot of shoes can do um, uh, so I think they uh, you know they, I think as they they become more well known I think they'll probably start going into the market quite well yeah look it it's always hard starting with a with, with a new shoe brand in Australia. It, it, it's hard to get uh, uh, shelf space on the wall of, 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 of running and hiking stores. Um, so 
we are lucky in that it has got quite a following in the US, which has obviously helped us in Australia also because uh, we seem to follow the trends of the US and uh, the brand, as I said, is doing very well in the US. So that has uh, seen a lot of hits on our online store and those retailers who have taken the brand on are doing extremely well with the brand and getting repeat return customers, which is which is great. Okay, thank you for that. Now, certainly, uh, I mean, most people will be aware of the Injinji socks, uh, but I'll go through and put the links to uh, uh, Injinji performance products and the, the socks and the, the shoes themselves, so you can have a look at those on their website. Um, now, just before we finish off, is there any other product you think that might be worthwhile mentioning to from a hiking perspective? Yeah, most probably the, the other one, most importantly, would probably be uh, our Body Glide product. Uh, Body Glide is the world's number one anti-chafe, anti-blister product. Um, the good thing about Body Glide is unlike Vaseline and petroleum-based type products, um, it's non-greasy, non-messy. It actually goes into the skin rather than sitting on top of the skin. Uh, what that then does is allows the skin still to breathe and perspire, um, and it's uh, fabric-friendly. So it's not going to hurt your good clothing that you've you've put on. But and more importantly, it's it's going to last eight hours. So it's a, it's a product which you can apply uh, to your shoulders for your backpacks, under your arms, your thighs, your feet. Uh, ladies will use it for bra tops. Uh, any 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 time you're going to get chafing anywhere on the body, you put the body glide on and you're good to go. So it is a product which is actually sold uh, extensively in the US. It's actually every military personnel in the US actually gets a stick of body glide. Um, so it sort of shows the quality of the product. Um, it is available in quite a lot of stores uh, in Australia. Uh, so any uh, Anaconda store, any Rebel sports store, uh, or any high-quality Paddy Palin, for example, all the, the well-known um, outdoor stores or running stores will stock body guide. Okay, thanks very much for that. Much appreciated. Now, while, as I mentioned, I'll go through and put the links to these in the show notes as well as some photos from, uh, from this and all the other interviews we've gone through and done as well. So if you're not familiar with some of these products, it'll give you an indication of what they're looking like. And certainly you can go to the websites and, uh, and get a bit more detail as well. Okay, thanks very much for, for talking to us today. Uh, thanks, Tim. Appreciate it. Okay, so as you're aware, things like Injinji toe socks are probably known to most people, even if you don't use them. But uh, things like Body Glide, um, it's not a product I've used or have felt ever felt the need to use, but I know some people that do use it and swear by it. The shoes as well from Topo, um, I think as a... Um, the retail and online market changes over and has changed quite dramatically over the last 12 months. We're going to see more and more brands come onto the market that aren't so familiar that'll pick up pace. So I'm looking forward to seeing what the Topo shoes have to bring. Okay, it's uh, Monday morning. Uh, we're here at the Australian Outdoor Retailer Show for a second day, and I'm here with Eddie uh, from AllSat, uh, Communication Specialists, uh, and I'll just get Eddie to introduce himself and tell us a bit about the products we're going to talk about, and specifically communications and personal locator beacons. So welcome to Australian Hiker, Eddie. Oh, thank you, Tim. Um, well, I'm Eddie from AllSat Communications. We specialise in satellite communications, uh, mostly... Uh, satellite safety beacons so our primary would be our uh, personal locator beacon and of course the spot satellite messenger is uh, the most common used I suppose in the, in the hiking industry um, and I believe you also do a range of mobile phones as well? Uh, we do satellite phones. Satellite phones. Sorry, sorry. Correct. Yeah, phones, yes. yeah. We we do satellite phones on three of the major networks. Obviously, Iridium, Inmarsat, and Thuraya. Um, so, and with our satellite phones, it's all connected through Pivotel. So, therefore, it makes it Australianized a little bit. So, with it, you get an Australian mobile number. There's no complicated dialing in those situations. Um, you know, so it's just like picking up a mobile phone. Basically, you just dial straight out, and away you go. I'll, I'll come back to the um, the PLBs in a moment, but yep. you know, with with the, the satellite phones, who's who's the market for your satellite phones? Uh, the majority of the market would be anybody going out. Actually, you know, we do a lot with the four wheel drive market, especially. Um, we do a few with 
the hiking uh, fraternity, I suppose, where they just want that voice communication over something else. Uh, a lot of people are more comfortable talking to another human instead of just pushing a button. Uh, uh, but I think more for, for guidance than anything else. All right. So the main thing I suppose we'll talk about today is um, is the spot and the, uh, the personal locator beacon. So let's let's start with the personal locator beacon at the moment. Well, we're the Australian distributor for the Rescue Me range, uh, which are manufactured in the UK by Ocean Signal, and our personal locator beacon is the smallest on the market. It's typically 30% smaller than anything else on the market. It weighs a mere 116 grams. Uh, it's waterproof to 15 metres, which really means it's it's built nice and robust. So for those of us that are out in the bush and, and kicking about nice and rough, it will handle that. Seven-year battery life on this little guy. So there's nothing to do for seven years. It's, a, it's an impressive battery life. Uh, like most personal locator beacons, they just uh, transmit on 406 megahertz government satellite system straight back to maritime safety in Canberra. And then, of course, search and rescue come out. Um, and um, you know, getting getting onto that topic, you mentioned battery life. I mean, can can personal locator beacons be have their batteries change, or is it normally that's Ab- it in Europe? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, we do them at our warehouse in Melbourne, so we're the only Australian authorised battery replacement centre as well. Uh, it's not just replacing batteries; you're replacing seals, repressure testing the product, filling out its barrage of paperwork. Unfortunately, just to bring it back to manufacturer's spec. However, with um, with our beacons and I suppose a couple of others on the market as well, if they're used in a genuine rescue, we'll replace the product for your rescue story. So really, you're not out of pocket. Um, and then if you don't want to share, I mean, we don't have to share names in the stories as long as we got the story because that just says to people, this beacon saved that person. Okay, um, and um, I, I must admit, I've owned, I've owned a beacon for a few years. I've never never set it off. I like off, and I hope I never have to. But uh, I mean, yeah, have you got any idea how many people actually do set off beacons a year? Is there a, a figure available that you're aware of? There is a figure available. Unfortunately, only figures given to me is our brand only. So uh, AMSA will only supply us with our figures of what's been registered and also what's going off. I do know when one of my beacons go off because I'm usually replace it and I talk with the person who's, who's actually let it off for, for whatever reason um, with the which we'll get into shortly with the spot satellite messenger I do have the figures on that one yep. yeah. uh, but as for beacons like I said we only get ours own only um, even as far as Peru we've had an Australian beacon go off there in Peru so that, that was quite exciting for us to, to see that you know our beacon has travelled overseas um, you know by avid hikers as well I must admit, I, uh, I've never actually carried a beacon overseas, and it's uh, it's something I've, I've I don't don't know. I'm going overseas for a trip next year, so I'll yeah. have to look at what we're doing on that one. But yeah, yeah. You, know, you think you think about okay, you're in Australia, you, you take it, you you log on to AMSA, yeah. you, you you update your plan so they know what's going on, and, and you just go for yeah. your walk. And well, well, the the satellite beacons, the PLBs, are actually on a worldwide system uh, controlled by Cospas Sarsat. So the whole world has that same thing. 406 megahertz is international distress frequency. So it doesn't matter anywhere on the planet, you can take your beacon and it will be responded to in that particular country. Do you need to actually, while we're talking about that, yep. do you need to actually let AMSA know you're going overseas or is it do you just fill out, the, fill out your, your trip on the line and, and that, that, that does the job? Look, there's no requirement to do so, but once again, as you would with Ground Charlie, let people know where you're going. With AMSA, it's free to update your trip details. Just do it anyway. It's it's giving that extra point of, I suppose, home security that I'm going over there and here's my beacon, here's my trip. This is roughly what I'm doing. It doesn't have to be exact, um, as do with trips. And then it gives you a, another point of having another Ground Charlie back home. All right. Um, so get moving on to the spot now. So we've gone away from a personal locator beacon, which is basically, I'm in trouble, I need help, you set it off, and some, at some point someone comes and rescues you. Um, now, what about the spot? What's, what's different with the spot, and what's, uh, who should be carrying spots? Okay, now with this spot, the spot is a satellite messenger with a distressed function. So it's working on a private satellite network, which is Global Star. Global Star has 72 satellites whizzing around the planet. So when you push the SOS button on the spot, it actually goes to GEOS in Texas, which is a International Rescue Coordination Centre. From that point, they contact uh, AMSA in Canberra. There's a memorandum of understanding between the two, and then the usual search and rescue go out. 
Now, with Spot itself, there's been over 5,000 rescues worldwide. I think about 650 of those are in Australia alone. So we've had quite a few rescues in Australia by the satellite Spot Messenger. Now, being a satellite messenger, it does come with a subscription. So there's a yearly subscription, but it does more than the SOS. You have live tracking, for example, so you can always be tracked. You have checking in. So at the end of the day, you can hit a button and email or text 10 people via the satellite network to say, I'm okay, this is where I am. You've also got a, I suppose, a de-escalated version of help. So, for example, with my help button, it goes to Ground Charlie back home, which happens to be my son, and I've told him, if you get a help message from my spot, call the police local to where I am, because it will always give you location that long when you send a message, and say, Dad needs help, it's not life-threatening, therefore I'm not wasting valuable rescue resources when I don't really need them. So, it does come at a cost, but it does a lot more than just pushing that red button to say, I'm in distress, come and get me. Yeah, and I think I think that's the thing with the personal locator beacons. It's normally set it off when you consider you're that's you're, it. You're, you're in real trouble, and someone will come out. And again, it may take you know, it's not may not be in ten minutes. Uh, it may may take a bit longer. Than that's that. that's the other big misconcept. I've, I've had this conversation many times. It's you know, for example, if you've walked from your car in a car park into the bush and you've gone for four hours, and it's a horrible day. They're not flying the helicopter. First, they have to get to your car and then walk four hours. So, you know, it's not that they haven't got your message. They usually will have your message and location pretty accurate within 100 metres within five minutes. It's just then the rescue coordination as it goes forward. If it's a bad day, helicopters are not coming out. It's as simple as that. I must admit, we did you know? the uh, Lara Pinta Trail in, uh, in 2016, and talking to the rangers there, they said the helicopters do not fly at night. So well, Exactly, <laughs> and the Peru one I was mentioning before, 31 hours yeah. for rescuers to get there because they had to walk. So you, you know something will actually happen at some point, but you've right. just got to look after yourself until that, until that time. Well, don't leave the... it to the last minute yeah. is the important thing. Um, you, when you're stuck somewhere and you think your life's in peril, it might not be in peril today, but it might be tomorrow. You know, if you've only got enough water for a day, you've been walking for two days, it, it still has to get there. Yeah. It's, it's, it's something that you have to try and foresee if you know it's going to happen. Um, and and at the end of the day, that's that's the only requirement. Is if you feel your life is in peril, push the button. So you're getting many people carrying both a personal locator beacon and a uh, and a spot at the same time, or? Oh, look, not too many because it's. I suppose the the spot does the same as a beacon, but with an extra step going through GIOS. So it still does that. It's just that people don't want the extras that the spot give you or they don't want the extra expense every year they're just happy to go all I want is that red button to push if I need it I don't need anything else um, I'm obviously take both of them because that's the industry I work in and I just happen to have both of them Yeah. yeah. Uh, but pretty much whenever I'm out with somebody and I've always asked them you know if something happened what would you do and every time they just say I would take your satellite phone and call somebody Yeah. Um, and I always say how about push that red button first then call somebody <laughs> alright uh, so is there any, any final things you'd like to, to talk about in, in relation to those products or anything else you, you're, you're dealing with as well So, oh look we also deal with um, ACR personal locator beacons they're a smidgen bigger but still up there in, in the quality range uh, and do the same job it, it comes down to do I like the green one or the yellow one really the yellow one's a little bit smaller um, but, but I would say that um, you know, if you are out there, you've got to have some form of communication. Uh, it doesn't have to be expensive. And having a, a beacon that lasts for seven years at an average of $50 a year, it's, it's pretty cheap insurance, really. Yeah, yeah. I, it's, I, I, I think so. I, sort of, uh, I must admit, this is probably one of the things that if you're going somewhere that's out of phone range and remote and there's no one going to be around, it's, it's, it, you know, it's what prices your life if, if, in a worst-case situation. Well, so. look, especially in Australia, most phone companies will do 98% of the population. Problem is 98% of the population covers 5% of the country. Yeah. So there's still a lot of country that's just not covered by mobile phones and even satellite phones are not as ridiculously expensive as they used to be 
and in our modern world of technology really having a small beacon is you know it's an extra 116 grams but it's an insurance of 116 grams there's just no weight in it yeah no i, I agree it's, i think it's, it's, it's definitely definitely something that you should be carrying if you if you're going anywhere that's it's it's pretty much off grid which is as you say is large parts of australia so. <laughs> very much so all right so we've been talking today with eddie from allsat uh we'll go through and put the links uh in our show notes for that as well as uh, some photos of the product we've gone through and been talking about as well uh and again if you uh, uh we'll hopefully get an email address off eddie so if you've got any questions you can sort of shoot through to him uh or also um uh, uh contact the uh, the retailers directly okay thanks very much for that thank you excellent so I think that interview with Hetty highlighted the the importance of carrying a a beacon of some sort, whether it's a personal locator beacon or whether it's a device like a spot, which is a communication beacon with a distress function. It's it's it really comes down to what price your life. I mean, if you're only just going five minutes out of town and you're within a mobile phone signal, not really necessary. But if you're the sort of person that goes into very remote areas and you're not going to see people for for days on end, it's definitely worthwhile expending a relatively small amount of money uh, just to give yourself and your family peace of mind. All right, so that's the last of our podcast episodes from the Sydney Outdoor Retailer Association show held earlier this month. Uh, And as I said, there's been some spectacular product that has either just come out or is just about to come out. Uh, it, it, it certainly amazes me just when you think that, okay, they've pretty much reached the limit of what you can possibly do with, with outdoor equipment. They find a way of just making things lighter, smaller, more comfortable. Uh, you name it, they, can, they seem to come out with improvements every year. And it's, it's hard to keep up sometimes. Nothing wrong with staying with the older gear. Um, it works perfectly well. And if it has worked well for you, stay with it. But certainly if you're new to hiking, if you're looking at the options and trying to, or you're trying to lighten your load as you get older, and certainly that's my situation, um, there is good product out there to choose from. So... Next week, we're back to our regular episode, uh, uh, and our next topic is going to be planning a through-hike, and we're going to be using my upcoming Bibbleman track hike as the basis on which to work. Uh, We hope you've enjoyed this week's episode, uh, and also episode 69 from last week, and it's provided you with a bit of an overview of where the gear market is going to in the next six to nine months. As always, this episode can be downloaded from our website, which is www.australianhiker.com.au, through SoundCloud, through Stitcher Radio and iTunes. If you have the chance, please go through and give us a five-star rating on iTunes to help get the message out there. That's all from me. Bye from now.